Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, January 4th, 2021. Well, on the cover of one of the picture Bibles in my house, prominently featured there is pictures of the story of Noah and the ark, you know, all the animals and everything. And if we stop and we think about this story for a minute, we have to find ourselves asking the question, how did Noah and the ark get turned into one of the famous children's stories of the Bible. And now, obviously, the answer to that question is the animals. You know, you put a bunch of animals on a boat and it seems like it is made for children. But if we go one step further in our mind, we realize what the story of Noah and the ark is about. It is really a story of the judgment of God on a sinful world. It's a story where everybody on planet Earth, every human being on planet Earth is killed in an act of judgment of God, all except eight people. This is an intense story, and it's even interesting. Many times you read children's versions of the story, and uh, you know a big part doesn't really get mentioned that this was an act of judgment from God on a sinful world. And because, you know, it is a a famous story, it's one that we we are rather familiar with, but really we we see it as an act of judgment. But also there's many things about this story where we do see the character of God shining through the dark clouds of judgment, so to speak. We see at the end of the story, the rainbow, and we were reminded of the faithfulness of God, that he has promised that he will not judge the world the same way again. Uh, we, we, we see him promising the seasons will come and go as they are supposed to. And every year we see uh, the fulfillment of that promise as soon we hope, you know, winter will change into spring and then into summer, then into fall and back again. And all expresses the faithfulness of God. But today, as we consider this story, this intense story of judgment, I do want us to consider one of those kind of rays of light that that goes against the backdrop of this story of judgment. We're going to see that in chapter six. Now, chapter six really sets up the need for the flood. It talks about how wicked things are on the world. It starts with a very interesting passage talking about the sons of God, seeing that the daughters of man were attractive and taking them as their wives. And there's a lot of debate in commentaries about what that means, because usually when it uses that phrase, sons of God, it is referring to angels, uh, to angelic creatures. And and so the most natural reading, um, of that would suggest that somehow angels were, you know, intermarrying with with women and producing offspring, and because that seems so different and and just weird to us, uh, there are many other uh, possible interpretations there, and it's hard for people to be certain. But again, the most natural reading is that there's some kind of intermingling between angels and, and women in this story. And that's clearly something motivating God to do what he does. But even that part that it's hard for us to understand, it gets more simple and straightforward in verse five, when it said, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great 
in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We see things have gotten bad. It talks about that there is violence. It seems that there's some kind of uh, a lot of just sexual immorality, that the world is just bad. And I think even we look out at the world and it doesn't maybe even take too much of a leap of imagination that if we just imagine if everyone was given over to wickedness, how crazy this world could be. And that's what's going to bring about the judgment of God. But after he you know, announces this curse of the flood that is going to happen in verse seven, we see one of these rays of sunshine. And this really comes in the form of the character of Noah. In verse eight, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then it describes Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And so I want us to dwell on those couple verses uh, for a moment this morning as we dig into God's word together. I love how it starts that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The, the word favor it can also be translated grace. And I think that's a helpful reminder for us that the moral of the story is not merely, oh, look at Noah. He is such a great guy. Although we do see him commended for his righteousness and we do want to follow his example. But even then, it really starts with something in God, that there was grace, that there was favor in God's eyes. And even I think we we see this going both ways, that God is looking on Noah with grace and favor. And then as Noah looks to God, he sees grace. He sees favor in God's eyes. That it wasn't only that Noah was thinking, oh man, I, I need to be righteous in this sinful world just out of some sense of obligation, but that Noah found in God a grace and a favor that was worth following that was worth walking with. And so I do want us to think about the example of Noah today, and I want to encourage all of us to follow the example of Noah. But we need to see following the example of Noah is not only going to come from just sheer willpower of, all right, I'm going to be righteous in a sinful world. It's going to start with, what do we think of God? What do we see in God? When we are looking at God, are we seeing a God who is gracious? Are we finding favor in the eyes of the Lord? And we know that God ultimately was gracious towards Noah, that it wasn't, we never see in scripture that it's merely because of somebody's righteousness that they have done. That That's the whole point really of the Bible is we, we are not righteous. We need God and we need his grace to produce righteousness in us. And I think that's, we have to understand that's what's going on here as well. So as we want to follow in the example of Noah, it has to start with how we look at God, looking at him and seeing the grace, seeing the favor in his eyes, knowing that no, none of us can look at ourselves and say, I'm worthy. Look at me. I'm so holy in the midst of a crooked world that no, we have to be kind of like the prophet Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm a sinful man and I live amongst, uh, you know, a sinful people. But when I look at God, I find grace and I find favor. And that does then motivate me to live differently. 
And then it talks about how Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And we need to make sure that we don't draw some uh, wrong, false dichotomy here that either the Christian life is either all about you know, trying really hard and being righteous and being blameless, or whether it's, oh yeah, I'm just going to think about the grace of God. Uh, really, there's uh, there's both, right? We look at God and we see his grace and we see his favor and we realize how little we deserve and how much he has given us. And at the same time that produces in us, well, I want to work and strive to be blameless and holy in a world that is not. And then that's what we see in the example of Noah. And again, we see that phrase that we saw talked about uh, on Saturday with Enoch, that Noah walked with God. And that's a good reminder for us. What are we doing today? Are we walking with God? Are we uh, pursuing him? Is really he dominating our lives, our homes, our workplaces, that we are seeking to please God and honor him in every way, in everything. So I think in this story of the flood, which interesting that it's a children's story, I think we find an example in Noah today. And let's look at God and look for the the favor and the grace that are found in his eyes. And let's follow the example of Noah. And even as our world deteriorates, that we will be people because we know who God is. We will be people that pursue righteousness and blamelessness in an unholy world. Now, for our other passages today, I love how it really lines up sometimes that what we read as we're going through the Bible really highlights um, and really reminds us of what we are studying as a church going through the gospel of John. And even if you're not a part of Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, we are going through the gospel of John right now. And yesterday we wrapped up John 11 and and looked at the beginning of John chapter 12 and saw this contrast between the, the religious leaders and Judas and their selfish concerns versus the example of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and just her extravagant worship of the Lord. And we, I think we also see that contrast today as we look at Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two, again, another familiar story, the the story of the wise men who are coming, um, to worship this newborn King. They've come and we we read about uh, some of that, um, even at Christmas time, but they come and they are told this king is going to be born in Bethlehem. But again, we see that contrast. We see the contrast of King Herod clearly dominated by selfish concern, right? He doesn't care at all about Jesus. He he is lying to um, the wise men when he says that he wants to come also and worship him. He's not being honest in that. He has his own selfish concerns. But then we see in, um, in these wise men, we see this example of extravagant worship again. They come and find this child and they give him extravagant gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worship this newborn king. So I think this is a good time for us to really consider what we learned at church this weekend. And we thought about that example of Mary and her worship and how her worship even filled the whole home with this fragrance of the oil that she poured out on Jesus. And I want us to be challenged again to examine ourselves. What is the fragrance that our lives are giving off? Is there really a fragrance of 
worship and gratitude that really kind of emanates from our lives. Now, you know, it's one thing to talk about that on Sunday. Now it's Monday morning. You're you're back into your routine. Even this is kind of the first normal week post holidays. What's what's going on in your life? What is the fragrance as you work at home or at your job, as you interact with your friends, whatever you do? Can people sense that you're worshiping Christ, that you have found something in Christ that is so valuable, it cannot help but give off this radiance of worship and joy and gratitude. I hope that's a good reminder for us today. And we're going to read this tomorrow, but we know that Herod's schemes ultimately are not successful. And again, that's another reminder that we, of what we looked at in John yesterday, that the schemes of the religious leaders and of Judas even though on some level they might have worked in a sense that, you know, hey, they accomplished their goal of taking Jesus out, that they didn't stop the plans of God. It actually all went according to God's plan and Christ was sacrificed for our sins. He rose again that the schemes of man cannot stop the plans of God. And we're reminded of that in Acts chapter one, where today we look at verses 15 through 26. In Acts 1, 15 through 26, It talks more about Judas, and ultimately the point of the passage is they pick a replacement for Judas, but it is interesting how it talks, how Peter, when he stands up in this group, he says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. You know, he's even saying Judas was fulfilling prophecy. Even though Judas was scheming and betraying Jesus, he was fulfilling God's plan. And that's an important reminder to us of what we learned yesterday, that even these plans that the religious leaders had to kill Jesus, it was really fulfilling God's plan. And as we look out at the world, the schemes of man cannot stop the plans of God. God. And ultimately, as we're reminded, as we now turn and wrap up our reading today in Psalm chapter two, we're reminded that God will win in the end. Now, Psalm two, we looked at over the weekend that he who sits in the heavens laughs, but really the you see that this is a messianic psalm as the emphasis turns more and more to this king that is going to come. Even it a few times uses the term son, really, that the son of God, this Messiah, this king, he is going to come and he is going to break the the nations with a rod of iron, that he is going to come and he is going to reign. And then in verse 10, it says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Jesus is going to win. The schemes of man will not work. But then the last line of Psalm 2 says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. And that kind of brings me back to where we started. Be be warned of the wrath and the judgment of God that we see in the flood. But at the same time, take comfort. Blessed are all those who take refuge in in the Lord. Blessed are those who, like Noah, find favor or grace in the eyes of God. And may we be encouraged to follow that example of Noah today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.